You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Uh, there, was a, there was a report uh, that came out this week. I'm not going to be, uh, I'm not a political preacher, I think. Uh, I've made that clear about every time I talk about politics, by the way. By the way, if you talk about politics but say you're not a political preacher, I'm not sure... Uh, regardless, there was a report that came out, uh, unsourced whatever report, right, about Donald Trump in the military. I, I, you can have your opinion about the Atlantic. I really don't care. Um, but I read that story, right, because because it's the story du jour. Uh, and first of all, like, whoa, that's crazy. Uh, if there's truth there, that's a crazy thing. Um, but one of the things that was driven in that story, the narrative that was driven in that story, is, you know, the, the character of the president as presented in this article um, was that he was a, he, he's a transactional person, right? He has trouble seeing value in things where there's not a monetary payoff inside of himself. And, and as I was working on this sermon today, I thought, you know, that's not, uh, that, that's not just true of, of, of those people somewhere else. That's true of a lot of us. A lot of us live transactional lifestyles where, where it's difficult for us to do without receiving on the other end. You know, it's difficult for us to give of ourselves. It's difficult for us to, to, to sacrifice our own um, comfort um, for the good uh, of other people. Now, obviously, we, we know that's a vice, right? We know that that's not the good part in us. All of us know that whenever we're selfish, whenever we view our world transactionally like that, that it's not the highest, most noble part of us. But man, I'll tell you what, as your pastor, as someone who stands up here and really does, I mean, I don't just profess to love Jesus. I do genuinely love Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes my life can become that way. You know, the question, what is in it for me, is oftentimes in my mind, right? Someone's like, hey, can you come to this thing? And my immediate thing is I run a cost-benefit analysis inside of my mind is, is going to this thing worth it for me? Is it worth my time? Is it worth my energy? Is it worth my gas? Is it worth whatever? Is it worth it for me to go and do this thing for this other person? And sure, they'll appreciate if I'm there or if I attend or whatever, but is it really worth it to me? What's the payoff to me? And sometimes the payoff is, you know, well, if I go and I do this thing for this person, I'll have a better relationship with them. We'll have a a, 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 you know, whatever, a, a more friendly, collegial relationship. And I'm thinking, okay, it's worth it for me to do that. Other times, I run the cost-benefit analysis, and I'm like, no, I don't think I can be there. I don't think I can do that at that time. And it's not that it's a deep moment of prayer where I go to God in prayer, and I'm like, God, do you want me to go do X, Y, or Z? It's really just a personal, transactional mindset of, is there a benefit to me and going. That's, I know that that's not the best part of me. I know it, guys. I really do. I'm not praising this, this part of who I am. But I, I believe that it exists in the vast majority of humankind. The vast majority of us look at our lives and we ask ourselves, is the cost to me worth the benefit on the back end? And as believers in Jesus Christ, this world that we live in, right, this reality that we exist in. The cost of following Jesus Christ here is always too great. It's always too great here. There is a payoff, right? I don't want to undersell the payoff. There is a payoff, right? There is a moment 
of glorification. There's a moment um, of, of, of this, this great reckoning that we look forward to. But here, in this world where we exist right now, a lot of times that payoff that's in the future is so hard for us to really gather our hearts and heads around that we live our lives very closed off because we're not going to get what we want now and the future is so far away. And I have children, a lot of children, and they struggle with future thinking of of varying capacities, right? My 17-year-old is better with future thinking. Um, My 16-year-old is better with future thinking. But as you go down into my 14-year-olds and 12-year-olds, and and my 2-year-old has no sense of future thinking at all, right? Um, The future is, is, is a concept that he does not gather. Like if I say later to him, it doesn't register. He doesn't have a later moment in his life. Well, the future payoff concept is really tough, right? We try to build that into our kids. You know, if you'll wait now, you'll get it later. If you'll have this now, you'll get it later. Um, but boy, uh, for, for the believer, that later is a long ways off. In fact, for some of you living faithfully for Jesus Christ, the reward on the other side, the benefit to the cost that you're going to go through here, the cost of persecution, the cost of being ostracized, the cost of having um, hurt relationships, damaged relationships by being faithful to things that God's caused you to do, that cost is great. And the benefit, you will, you will not see oftentimes even a, a, a twinge of that benefit until you meet Jesus Christ face to face. And that long payoff out there, that long payoff way far in the future, makes it really, really easy for a lot of us to live a lukewarm version of Christianity. We profess Jesus Christ in this room, We may wear a cross as a piece of jewelry. Uh, If someone was to ask, we would say we were Christians. We read our Bible a little bit. We pray a little bit. When it comes down to doing the things that actually cause massive changes in our lives, that would cause upheaval in our lives, we live our lives very, very much like the rest of the world. Right? We We don't think sacrificing our comfort for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is a cost worth paying. And so we receive the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross. We receive that by faith, but we don't, we don't give anything back for the kingdom. Nothing that hurts us. Nothing that harms us. Nothing that identifies us as outliers. David Platt wrote a book. David Platt was a uh, one-time president of the uh, International Mission Board. Um, I say one time, he was, uh, he, he was only there for like two years. Right? I, I have been at this job longer than he was at that job because he came in when I was here and he's already gone on um, to something else. Uh, I don't think it was the right fit for him. I think he discovered that pretty quickly, that he wanted to be a pastor, not the leader of a missions agency. And he went back to what it is that God has called him specifically to do. He wrote a book um, called Radical. And that book, uh, it's probably 10 years old now. Um, it's a book I would commend to you, but you know what's so crazy about that book? The thing that just blows my mind about that book is it's a, it's a book of um, telling us to, to be willing to sacrifice what, our comfort and our safety to go follow Jesus Christ. And what is so crazy about that book, the thing that drives me insane about that book, is he had to title that book Radical because it does, it, it, it's not what Christians think is normal. Like We find it to be uh, radical for a believer in Jesus Christ to give up their business here where they're profiting and making a good life and living in the McMansion in the suburbs, you know, with the 2.5 kids and the two dogs and the cat. God forgive them, right? 
uh, and to give that away, to sell all of those things because God has put on their heart to go um, to, 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 to some people in Nepal. And we look at those people as if they're some sort of like, like crazy enigma, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe anyone would do that. They would give that away to follow after Jesus Christ. How crazy is that? What a radical thing for them to do. But if you were to push back, like, a hundred years or so, um, there's a, a Chinese Christian named Watchman Nee. He wrote a book of the very same sort of concepts. Living your life fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Surrendering everything to Jesus Christ. And where David Platt's book had to be titled Radical in the year 2000 and something, Watchman Nee's book was titled The Normal Christian Life. Right? The Normal Christian Life. If you're not doing these things, you are abnormal. If you are living secularly like the world, trying to pursue after the riches of the world, trying to have your cake here on this end and eat it too over there in the future, if you are trying to do those things, you are abnormal. But our churches, our cultures, our Christians, uh, the body of Jesus Christ has grown so weak right, that it is insane for us to see someone surrender their wealth and their, their comfort to live for Jesus Christ. It's insane for someone to have a conversation uh, with a family member or friend that they know could lead to them being ostracized. Right? Now, I'm not saying to be graceless in your conversations. You need to be grace-filled in the way in which you talk to your family and your friends and your neighbors. But we have to have those conversations that we know can be offensive. Because, because that's what God has called us to do, share truth, right? To, to be truth bearers. And what in 2010 is called radical, in the early 1900s is called the normal Christian life. It just blows my mind how far we've fallen in such a short time. And I don't think this is going to solve it today. We're going to be in the book of Malachi. And I'm praying that God is going to begin to work on your life. To see that God is calling you to something deeper and better in your service to Him. And so if you're in the book of Malachi, we're in chapter 3 today, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. I like to acclimate you there. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are your first books in the New Testament, four Gospels. The book right before that, the last book in the Old Testament is a book called Malachi. It's written by a guy named Malachi. Very good. Those of you participating out there today, good work. Uh, Malachi wrote this book. It's an oracle. Uh, it's kind of his uh, disputes with God are going on, and so... Um, God will accuse the, the people of Malachi's day of doing something, and they will respond and argue with God. Um, but Malachi is writing this after the exile. The people have gone back to Jerusalem, gone back into um, uh, Judah. They're resettling, trying to reestablish themselves after a pretty uh, long 70 years of living in exile. And we get Malachi chapter 3 starting in verse 13. This is what Malachi uh, uh, records. He says, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But then you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test 
and they escape. And so God is, is criticizing the people of Malachi's day, right? And he, he begins off in verse 13 and says, you know, you, your words have been hard against me. God is like, what, what you say about me is hard. It's untrue. It's, it, it, you know, it assaults the character of who I am. And then, of course, the people are like, well, what did we do? What did we say? And basically, what they said was, right, we don't need to serve you because there's no profit in serving you. In fact, the people who are arrogant, the people who are wicked, are just as blessed as those of you who walk around living their lives underneath your authority. And so we won't walk under your authority because there's no benefit to us. There's no profit to us in living under your authority. Now, the arrogant people, right, they see no value in serving the Lord. And in our culture today, there is a lot of people who see no value in serving the Lord. In fact, if you were to live your life fully devoted to Jesus Christ, if you were to put your entire life, your, um, your time, your finances, your family, your career, everything that matters to you, if you were to put that underneath God's total and complete ownership, and you were to surrender control of those things and say, God, I'm going to go where you tell me. I'm going to serve where you send me. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. There is a huge group of people who will say, what value is there in what you're doing? You're wasting your life. You're wasting your life. You could have been a doctor, lawyer, entrepreneur, businessman, you could have had a second car, a second house, a boat, or, you know, you could have had uh, this amount of land. You could have had all of these things and you gave it away for what? What? What did you get? A life of trouble, a life of difficulty, because you're serving the Lord. And we look at those people and, we, and our culture looks at those people as if they're crazy. I remember uh, when I went to college, I made a lot of big decisions between the year of like when I graduated high school and my first year of college was done. Um, on Senior Recognition Sunday in May of two, the year 2000, so in May of 2000, um, I dedicated my life to the service of Jesus Christ. Walked the aisle, came down, talked to my pastor. Uh, my pastor uh, at the time was, was Scott Rambo, a man um, that I admired greatly. Uh, and, and Scott said, okay, I see this. I talked to my youth pastor, who was, he was the executive pastor then, but uh, Kyle Gowen, and Kyle said, I see the call in your life. Surrender to the ministry. I came down, talked to my pastor, surrendered to the ministry. My father-in-law, not at the time, uh, going to be my father-in-law, uh, he was a deacon at my church. And so at my church, uh, the pastor would be down here, and then the deacons would kind of come, and they would help counsel people when they made decisions. Uh, and so I was dating his daughter at the time, uh, and he, he knew um, what, what it was that God was doing in my life. And so we talked about that as, as I worked that. What a wonderful thing that is, by the way, right? Um, to, be, to be a part of a family um, that has a faith trajectory like that. It just really was. It was encouraging for me to have that. Um, my mother-in-law, by the way, is here today. Hey, Sharon, she's been uh, helping take care of my kids while we've been doing hospital stuff. But, but, but I remember that moment, right? And I surrendered my life to the ministry in May. Uh, I went to university uh, and studied Christianity and psychology. That's a weird combination, by the way. Um, and then I, um, I got engaged in like November, late October. I don't know. Danielle might remember the date. I don't. Um, but, but I got engaged in my first 
maybe first semester. It would have been first semester of HB headquarters, so it may have been second quarter. I don't want to get into that. I got engaged in my first real semester at university, okay? So, like, my life went pretty crazy for about six months. Lots of major life trajectory decisions. And my father, who loves Jesus Christ, right, who, who demonstrated a love for Christ in my life, like, I, I watched him. He made sure I was uh, engaged in the church. He encouraged me in my faith. Uh, when I surrendered to the ministry, he was great with it. He was like, "That's a, a man, a son, I'm, I'm proud of you. Right? My mom was super excited. They were very encouraging about all that. But whenever I declared my college majors, my dad became very scared for me in that moment. Because if you go to school and you study Christianity, there is no money to be made there legitimately. Okay? There, there's a lot of money to be made with the name of Jesus Christ. A lot of people make a lot of money with the name of Jesus Christ. No one makes a lot of money off the name of Jesus Christ legitimately. You find someone, and they're living in a 20-bedroom house, and they're driving a Bentley, and they're a pastor, they are living an illegitimate following of Jesus Christ. I don't care that they wrote a book, and that's how they made their money, and they're not taking anything out of their church. I don't care. If, you're, if, you're, if you found a way to become a multimillionaire on the name of Jesus Christ, and that is being invested back into you, you're an illegitimate minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know if there's an exception to that. I suppose if you were Bill Gates and you got called to the ministry out of that and you just happened to have billions of dollars piled up before you became a minister, I might give you a pass. But for most of these guys who just end up, you know, writing a God wants you to be happy, special, live your best life today sort of book, most of those people, illegitimate. Uh, you can debate me later, I guess. I don't think I'm going to be wrong. But, um, but, but there was no financial benefit to, to Christianity. And my dad was okay with that. Because he knew that I was surrendered to the ministry. He knew that I saw my life going to do exactly what I'm doing now. Right, this right here, lifelong dream. How crazy is that, by the way? I've achieved my lifelong dream, guys. Good work, Matt. Right. Some of y'all, when y'all were kids, right, you never got there. But man, I made it. That's pretty, I also wanted to be a vet whenever I was a younger kid. And then I, I volunteered at a vet's office once. And that was enough to shake me of that dream. Um, but this one right here, this dream, this was it. This is what God laid on my heart. And my dad was great with that, but it was my second major. At HBU, you had a double major. And my second major, psychology, is a worthless degree. Right? It can be valuable. You can become, you can go and get your master's, and then you can start to make a little bit of money, and then you can get your doctorate, and then if you get in private practice, you can actually make some, some semblance of money. My dad looked at it and said, son, you got to find another major. Right? you got to find another major, because I know a lot of pastors who are out of work, and it'd be really good for you to have something else to fall back on if the ministry thing doesn't quite work out. Right? And, I, and I was 18 years old when I'm declaring my majors. Uh, my wife changed her majors like three times. Me, I was set to it. By the time I was done with my psychology major, I wished I had changed my major. Right? But I was, I was told that I wished I had chose something else, but I didn't. Right? I stuck through it because I wasn't going to give up another year of my life to, to study communications or something else. Right? I was married to it. And he told me, he said, son, I know a lot of out-of-work pastors would be good for you have something else to fall back on other than psychology, which is worthless. By the way, not bad advice. Dad, if you're watching, still not bad advice, but I remember my 18-year-old my response to my father. And my father works, uh, he was a software, uh, I don't want to tell you what he did. He was basically a technical sports, technical sales guy. So they would have sales guys who'd be like, this is the greatest thing in the world, I can do anything that you want. And then my dad would come in behind him and be like, okay, so this is what it can actually do. Right, and he would explain what the product could actually do, and then the sales guy would be like, no, it's it to do everything you want, it can, you know, it'll print gold. And then my dad would be like, well, not quite gold, okay, but let's, let's settle down. 
right? And so my dad was a support sales guy on, on the technical side. He understood the technical side of software. Sell guys understood how to make people buy ice even if they were Eskimos, right? That's, that's the whole concept that my dad was into. And he went through that, and I said, well, Dad, I bet you know a lot of people who are out of work in the software industry, too, right? But I knew that God had put a call on my life. I knew it. I didn't have, like, psychology, the reason I did psychology is because I want to understand all you crazy folks. That's the only reason. I could have done it in, like, four classes, by the way. What I learned in psychology, I needed about four classes to understand the, the general craziness of, of people, right? Most, most of the other stuff I had to learn and write and do hasn't been beneficial to me. About four classes had. I could have minored, maybe, and it would have been more valuable. But, but I told my dad, look, there's a lot of people in your line of work who you know who are out of work, Right? But where I was called, I'm going to go. So I didn't have a plan B. Right? Like if this thing fails right here, if, if ministry exploded for me, I'm 38 now, I feel like I've got a pretty good stride. Right? But if for some reason it all blew up, I don't, I don't have an easy fallback plan. Right? I can't just go work at my dad's store. It doesn't exist. Right? I, I, I haven't ever learned how to sell insurance, but I guess that's what I've learned to do. Right? I, I don't know. I don't have a plan B, because God called me to do this. And the idea that, that you would serve the church, which is what I do, for, for the you know, lack of payoff that you can get, right? I've done eight years of education, higher education, four years in seminary, or I did four years in seminary, I did like seven years in seminary, well, it should only take three, by the way, I'm a, I'm a good learner. Um, but I did seven years of higher learning to do this job. If I had invested those same seven years, I could have been a lawyer, right? <laughs> same seven years, could have been a lawyer, could have been a doctor, but I don't have all the residency and stuff like that. But like, I, I could have had a different career path. I gave all of it to the service of Jesus Christ because it's where God wanted me to be. That's not everybody's call. I don't believe that every person is called to the vocational ministry of Jesus Christ. I'm glad he's not because that would be a mess, right? Because like I would be preaching to my children until that God called them to preach, and then they would preach to nobody, right? Until they had kids, and they'd preach to their kids, because you would all be preaching somewhere else. That's the way it would work. But that's not, that's not what God has called us all to do. But for my life, that's what God called me to do. And so I gave up whatever future I could have had, future, whatever, whatever future people could have dreamed for me to follow after Jesus Christ. And it, like, it seems crazy. In my time in ministry, I've had a dozen or more students, more than that, I think, Surrender to the ministry. The vast majority of them have given up on that call. I don't believe it's that they weren't called to ministry. I believe that the value proposition of serving Jesus Christ compared with the cost of serving Jesus Christ didn't balance out. And so as they got further along in their life, they pulled the ripcord on serving Jesus Christ. I was in a cohort of students in my, in my when I was in... in High school, right? And several of them surrendered to the ministry. I know of one who's still serving in the ministry from that group, right? We, we, it's a tough thing. A lot of us, we get washed out by the cares of the world. We see other things over there. You know, our, our, our dumber classmate is making more money than us. And we think, well, if that idiot can make more money than I can make, what am I doing wrong, right? There were 700 people in my class. A lot of them are idiots, Probably several will make more money than I do, <laughs> right? Just the way it is. But, but as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't listen to the world. 
The arrogant people look around and say, there's no value in serving God. There's no value in serving God, so serve yourself. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we have to be compelled that there is a value in living our lives totally devoted to Jesus Christ. We continue on in verse 18. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention, and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who doesn't serve him. Okay, and so, so we go from this idea that there's people who are like, it's not worth our time to serve God because there's no value in it. And then God says, but I remember those who are faithful. See, God remembers His faithful servants. We don't always think that. We think sometimes that our service in secret goes totally unnoticed. Some of you this week, in the last seven days, have served my family. You have served us food. You have ministered to us by texts and calls. You have sent letters or gifts to the hospital to reach out to to us, to care for us, uh, to be with us. I'm not going to elevate all of you right now because I'd like your service and secret to actually be rewarded uh, by God uh, in, in the end. But like, God sees all of that. Every time you choose to let someone in on the highway, God sees it, right? He knows when you're, when, you're, when you're serving your fellow man, when you're putting other people's needs in front of your own, every small decision that looks like it would be unnoticed is recorded by God. And there's this thing called the book of remembrance, right? And the idea behind the book of remembrance, this word is used one other time in the Bible. It's in the book of Esther. If you remember the book of Esther, there's a guy named Mordecai. Mordecai finds out that there's someone who's going to kill the king. Uh, the king of Persia, a guy named uh, Artaxerxes, uh, and he says, man, someone's going to kill the king, and so he informs the guards, and they're they able to keep the king from getting killed. By the way, killing kings was a thing back in the day. That was a huge part of ancient culture, coups and violent revolutions, and he stopped it, right, with just a word of information that he had heard on the street. He was able to stop it, and his name was written down in a book of remembrance, Like, look at this thing that this guy did. Mordecai, random dude, stopped the murder of the king at the hands of so-and-so. Right? And if you look at the story later on, king can't sleep one night, bring the book in, right? Let's read the book. Oh, Mordecai. And he's like, hey, what what did we do for this guy who saved my life? Oh, nothing, and then eventually it leads to the the salvation of the Jewish people. It's a good story. Read it. The book of Esther is fun. Okay, but, but the idea here is the exact same sort of book that God has. We're, we're, we're seemingly deeds that are totally overlooked, right? that, that don't get noticed, that don't get fanfare, you're not getting front page news, the pastor isn't bringing you up on stage and being like, look at how much this person has served Jesus Christ. Right, right? Those seemingly unseen deeds are seen by God and he remembers your faithfulness. No one else may remember It may be totally forgotten to the annals of history. There may not be one record of your faithful living here. But God records it all. And in the right time, in the right moment, God will open the book of remembrance. He will scroll to the page with your name on it. And the deeds of your faithful acts will be read to Him. Not one faithful deed will be left out. And in that moment, 
you will be rewarded for a life well lived. A life lived for the goodness of others. A life lived for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to have your name recorded in a book somewhere. right? You just have to be known by God Almighty. And for some of us, we've never thought that was enough. We want glory. We want adulation. We want recognition. I'm a guy. I, don't, I probably shouldn't have to declare that. Um, <laughs> but I'm a guy. Um, if I do the dishes, I want credit. I don't know why that is, right? I don't know why it is that if I do the dishes, I want to be like, but I do. Right? My wife does the dishes. My kids, do the, my kids do the dishes. Like they have, every kid has days of the week they have to do it. When you have six kids, it works real well, right? And then they're going to start leaving, and then I'm going to start doing more dishes, right? But my kids don't do that. They look at the dishes, huh? Right? But there's something in me that requires adulation and like, Good job, man. It's just, I'm, I'm broken. Right? I, I, I really do. I like adulation. I think most of us like it to some degree. Some of us don't like being center focused. I, I like that too. Um, but a lot of us like private adulations. Hey, thank you so much. I see what you did there. But a lot of what we're going to do in this life is not even going to give us private adulation. It's only going to give us future recognition from the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And God sees everything you do. He remembers what you do. Every well-spoken word, every opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for sinners and rose again, every time that you shared that message, whether it bore fruit or not, is recorded for all time. It's not about making a reputation here. It's about making a reputation there. And God will reward us if we do it. God, notice us when you choose to serve. There's a song, it's out right now, I'm not sure. Mercy Me, Third Day, Casting Crowns, they all sound the same to me, by the way, I can't tell the difference between them. Right? Uh, it could even be Matthew West, right? But I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. Right? And that's the whole concept. Like, like, I don't care about my name. I'm trying to let people know about the one who saved my soul. And if we live our lives focused on Jesus Christ and not on ourselves, God will do great things in this world. But for that to happen, you today have to choose to stop living for yourself, to stop living for the next bump in your 401k, to stop living for the next opportunity for you to buy another thing or to get another thing or to find another piece of recognition and to live fully devoted, radically normal for Jesus Christ. If you can get on board with that, I promise you not one deed you do will be forgotten by the God in heaven who sees all and knows all. Your reward is coming. It's over there. But for here, the reward is serving the one who's already served you more than you could ever return. Let me pray.